Sonny Bonani Basilwani. Uh-oh. Um, it must have been a long time since anyone's, anyone's uh, greeted you that way. Uh, Sonny Bonani means, uh, yes, someone got it. It's Yebo. So Sonny Bonani is uh, literally in Siswati means I see y'all. Okay? Uh, Sal Bona is I see you. Sonny Bonani is I see y'all. Uh, but it's how we say hello. And Basilwani means brothers and sisters or church. So whenever someone gets up in front of church, they always say, Sonny Bonani Basilwani. And your response is much easier. You just have to say, Yebo. Yes, Yebo means yes. Or, yeah, I see you too. We're back at you. Whatever. Um, literally, yes, but that's what it means. So let's try again. Sonny Bonani Basilwani. Ah, very good. It's a great blessing for me to be here with you uh, this morning, this congregation, uh, and its long history with uh, African Christian College, Manzini Bible School in the Kingdom of Swaziland, where my family and I have been for the last three years, and uh, what a wonderful place and wonderful blessing that you've been such an important part of uh, its history and making it, uh, the reason it's there is because this congregation started it back in the mid-60s and uh, has faithfully followed God and made huge sacrifices and gone out and, on big steps of faith uh, and leaps of faith to make that place possible. And amazing things are going on there, as we talked about in Bible class. And um, I think that we've already sold all the macadamia nuts that I brought with me. Um, but if you'd like some macadamia oil, then uh, it's still up for sale out there in the back. One of the questions that I'm often asked when um, I'm back in the U.S. is um, what, besides the things like what do you miss the most, which is Mexican food, and um, that kind of, or what do you use macadamia oil for, which we talked about earlier, is, is more deep question, and that is what is the biggest problem facing the church in Africa? Woo! Which is a big question, uh, because Africa is a really big place, first of all, and uh, so there's probably not just one answer, because there's parts of Africa where war between Christians and Muslims is probably one of the biggest challenges, or uh, the, the growing influence of Islam and, uh, is a big challenge in North Africa and different parts. Uh, probably dealing with uh, health crises like Ebola and HIV are huge crises for the church. Another one is uh, the syncretism that occurs in Africa and the traditional religions and Christianity and how they try to figure out what does it mean to be an African Christian? What do we do with ancestor worship or uh, with uh, some of our witchcraft and those kind of things? Is there a place for that or not uh, within the life of being a Christian? And those could all be good answers. An answer that I've given for a long time to that question has been this, that the biggest problem for the church in Africa is that it needs better leaders. That if they just had leaders who knew the Bible more or knew how to be leaders of the church, knew how to evangelize and plant healthy churches and reproducing churches and bring people to Christ, then everything would be much better. And so we've built infrastructure such as Manzini Bible School and African Christian College in response to that belief that we're going to train up leaders for the Lord's church in Africa and that that's going to help the church. And yet the church still struggles an awful lot. And that's not my answer anymore. My answer that I have for the biggest problem, I think is probably the biggest problem facing the church, not just in Africa, but everywhere. And that still has to do with leadership. 
And oftentimes when we talk about leadership, we focus on leadership. But there's another piece, and that's followership and following. Because I don't believe that the church needs better leaders as much as the church needs better followers. Now, our culture today, especially everywhere, in, in Swaziland this is true, and it's true here. When you walk through the bookstores, especially the Christian bookstores, there's row after row after row of leadership this and leadership that, dissecting the different styles of leadership, the different ways to lead, the different ways you can do better as a leader, the ways we can train better leaders. Everywhere we go, it's all about leaders. And if we said, should you be a leader or a follower, our culture says always, leader, I want to challenge that today to say we need to be better followers. And by that I don't mean to say that we have fine leaders. Thank you very much. If the followers would just do what the elders and the leaders said, then everything would be okay. That's not the point. Our elders and other leaders, they need to be better followers too. We all need to be better followers. We read in the Bible very little about being a leader. Instead, Jesus says things like, come, follow me. And we hear instead, come, be a leader. Right? Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, and we stop and build worship warehouses, Leonard Sweet says. Or Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. And still we hear, follow me as Paul's a leader for Christ. But even Paul recognized it's not about being a leader. It's about being a follower. Barbara Kellerman, a Harvard professor in her book, uh, Followership, says we talk a lot about leadership, dissecting the different styles. But in our culture, we often just assume followers are followers. And that's not fair, she says, because there's different kinds of followers, just as there's different kinds of leaders. For example, she says, some followers are mindless tagalongs. They're just there. They just show up because that's what you're supposed to do. And they just follow along without thinking or really contributing much. But then there's also followers who are deeply devoted disciples, deeply devoted, passionate followers who are all in, all committed, and, and doing everything they can to move forward, whatever it is. And whether you're in the church or you're in business or whatever, you don't want mindless tag-along followers. We want deeply devoted, passionate followers. And that's what the church needs. Not mindless tag-along followers, but passionate, deeply devoted followers of Christ. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to in Matthew chapter 16. Let me read some here. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he greens the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus is inviting us 
to be deeply devoted followers. He says, if anyone would come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Sounds like he's repeating himself, but actually he's not. He says, when he says, if anyone would come after me, he's saying what it sounds like to us in English. If you want to be on my team, if you want to line up behind me, if you want to join in my cause, if you want to come after me, here's what you have to do. First, you have to deny yourself. And denying yourself means simply not trying to be the leader anymore. Denying ourselves means to give up our need to be in control and be in charge and be the leader and instead follow Jesus and let him be the leader and us follow him. And then he says, and take up your cross. And when, Paul, when, when, he, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he means, again, to let go trying to be in control. Let go of your agenda and be a servant. Just as I am a servant, Jesus says. Serving other people, taking up our cross, the ultimate sacrifice. And then he says, and follow me. But here when he says, and follow me, he actually, the Greek actually means this. It doesn't mean to just walk behind me. It actually means come along beside me and let's go together. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my, my team, my cause, if you're going to be with us, with God in the kingdom, stop trying to be in control. Let go. Be a servant, and let's go together. I'm going to be right there beside you, working alongside you, walking alongside you, and helping you. That's encouraging. That's encouraging news because even though we don't see Jesus, he's left behind his spirit to be there with us, to walk alongside us. And this is the same spirit, right? This is the same spirit, Paul says in Romans, Romans 8, that raised Christ from the dead, that that same spirit resides in us as the church. And we'll stop trying to be in control and be followers. Things will happen. So the goal of scriptural education, of, of studying the Bible, which, which are starting new education programs, and it's great, and these things were said earlier too, isn't just so that we can fill our heads with knowledge or know every word, memorize every word, and know all this stuff, but that it transforms us to live out this calling of letting go and following where Jesus calls us to go. That that's the point of studying the Bible, of coming to church, of joining Jesus' team. And that's a lot of, of what we've transitioned to at ACC. Coming to recognize that, yes, it's important for, for African students who are at our school to learn the Bible and theology and how to preach and teach. But it's even more important that they're transformed to be followers who are deeply devoted. And that's what's going to make the ultimate difference. The thing is, though, that's not the job of places like ACC. That's really the job of the church. That's what we come here for, is to be transformed to be more like Jesus and following him. Um, I didn't get to watch the other night um, the, the interviews with uh, Dr. Kent Brantley that were on whatever that news show is that comes on on Friday night, Dateline or 2020 or um, whatever. 
Uh, I wish I had. I went to school with Kent and I've uh, been praying a lot for him when he was still sick there and uh, thinking a lot about him and the sacrifices that he was made. And I, I don't know, maybe this was a mistake. It was for me because it kind of overwhelmed me. But during that first week, his brother um, had put up on Facebook a recording of a sermon that Kent preached uh, just before he left um, to move to, to West Africa. It was at his home congregation in Indianapolis, and he was explaining to them um, why he was going. I'm sure he said many of the same things. The little clips that I've read on Twitter and stuff from his interviews said some of the same things. He was explaining to them how his church had taught him what it means to follow Jesus by people just living their lives and walking alongside them. But he said he came to realize he was an intern in uh, Tanzania. And he was there, and he came to realize that when he got baptized, he had thrown the towel into Jesus' team. And that he had already made a decision. When he decided to follow Jesus, he had made a decision that Jesus was the one in charge, and that his job was simply to do and go where Jesus said to go. And he said it just kind of hit him all of a sudden. He said, the next thought that I had was, what if God wants me to come back to Africa or to this place in Tanzania? I don't want to come back here. This three months that I've been here this summer, no thank you. He was standing there before his church and he said, in a couple of weeks I'm moving to West Africa because God said, this is where I'm supposed to go. And I decided a long time ago that my job is to follow God. It's decided already. So a few Sundays ago, then, uh, one of the news sites put up an article that said, what would Kent do? Because Jesus doesn't do anymore in our culture today, so we're looking for someone else to be our moral compass. And so this person suggested that Kent Brantley should be our moral compass. I think Kent's answer would be this, <laughs> that we follow God where he's going. Jesus showed us how to live. He showed us what it means to be God's person, what it means to sacrifice and love other people. And he's calling each one of you to be a deeply devoted follower. And I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's calling you to do in that, but I know he's calling you to that. And I'll say this, and Kent would agree, God did not speak in some loud voice that said, Kent, Go to West Africa and be a doctor. God did not say to, to Rachel and I, Brad, Rachel, move to Swaziland and be missionaries at African Christian College. It didn't happen that way. So if you're waiting for God to do that in your life, that's okay, but it doesn't always work that way. God's calling you to something. And so my question is, what is God calling you to? Maybe he is calling you to Africa. Maybe he's calling you to India or China or South America or Central America. Maybe he's calling you to this neighborhood around this church building or throughout Albuquerque in this area. I don't know. I don't know. But I imagine that you know that when we sit and think just a little bit about the ways that God's been working in our lives, I explained Kent's story, the same true for me. A lifetime of people showing an example of different events and different things that I was involved in leading to these things, to then say, 
I think God's prepared me for this as the next step. We're going to Swaziland. What's been going on in your life? Whether you're young or you're old, we've all had experiences and all had things that are preparing us for those things that are facing us. And our question is, are we going to be the types of followers who are mindless tag-alongs? Who just show up? Or are we going to be deeply devoted followers of Jesus who lets the Spirit of God come inside us and reign? That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in this church. And through that, He can do amazing things. In fact, He has. He has done amazing things. And I'm sure we could sit here and tell stories all day long about the great things that have happened because of the people in this church, the ministry in this church. I know I can about what this church has done for African Christian College. And there's other things that you've been involved in. But the question today, what is God calling you to? And perhaps even more specifically, some of you who think he's not calling you to go anywhere, and you have a bit more experience like Harry talked about when he was introducing me, Jesus called 12 men to follow him. And he mentored them, he taught them, he was challenged, challenged them, and he was frustrated with them. But what he did was he walked alongside them. So who were your 12? Who were your 12? Who were the ones? 12's not the magic number, right? But who are you walking alongside? Because that's also what it's about to be, church. Who are you walking alongside to form and be formed? Our God is an awesome God. He's at work in Africa. He's at work in Albuquerque. And he's calling you. He's calling you to come follow Jesus and do amazing things in the kingdom. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our God who loves us, who prepared us for this day and this time, whose spirit resides in all of us, that we can be your people. God, we want to be deeply devoted followers. Help us to hear your call and help us to respond and follow you in all we do. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Let's be standing together. Brad, thank you for, for that. Um, and the, the challenge that we hear, this is, this is a challenge that we have been hearing for quite some time, right? As we look at the life of Jesus and look at the teaching of Jesus and, and say, what does it mean to follow? That God is calling us to something. It may be something little. It may be a very small step. Um, it may be a step across an aisle or a step across the street or a step across town or from another state or to another continent. But he is calling us to take those steps. And it is easy for us to sit in the pews and hear words like that and say, okay, God's saying something. But we have got to take action. What are you going to do about it? What is that one thing that you are going to walk from here and actually do? Because we can sit in classes and we can sit in pews and it can be an intellectual pursuit, but until we take those steps of action, it has not changed us. 
What are those steps of action for you? We want to spend some time praying about that. And I want to encourage you, if, if God is prompting you to do something, to take action and start by praying with somebody. It can be with somebody in the pews. It can be with, with somebody in your small group. The elders will be down front and in the back. You can pray with them. Pray over what those next actions are. Saying, I'm, I'm going to invite someone to the story next week. I'm going to step across the street and meet my neighbor. I'm going to have that conversation with my coworker that I've been meaning to have for years. Step out and pray over that. And let us join with you in that. Maybe the next step is you need to accept Jesus as your Lord for the first time. And we want to do that with you through baptism this morning. We'd encourage you to come forward and talk to me or one of the shepherds during that time. Take action and be faithful to what God is prompting you to do as we sing now. God, we thank you so much for, for this time. We thank you for, for your word that challenges us, this call to follow Jesus. God, I pray that we will be obedient to the littlest of things that you call us to. God, we give this time to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.